morning, brethren. We always turn to Genesis chapter. I'll take it. Genesis chapter 19. Throughout the scriptures, there's lots of warning. I spent a long time this morning reading through Jeremiah. What a warning there is to someone that takes upon themselves to speak on behalf of God. Wormwood and gall will be their end. What a terrible thing that is. And he said, these false prophets, and he has horrible, horrible things to say for them, verse after verse. He said, they will not prophet my people at all, thus saith the Lord. And he said, don't you dare speak to me about the burden of the Lord. He said, you take it out of your mouth. He said, I'll forget you. I'll forsake you. I'll leave you. I'll cast you out. I'll never talk to you again. Now, where does that leave me and you? You want to stand up and preach? You, you, you eager to get the pulpit? We cry out for mercy. <laughs> Lord, be with us. Like Moses, don't let if you're if your presence ain't with me, don't let me go. Don't let me go. Throughout the scriptures, we have warnings, strong, hard warnings, lest we presume, lest we just went, well, I'm, I'm saved. I always have been. Once saved, always saved and go gallivanting around this world like a fool with strong warnings for us, lest we presume. And the Scriptures are full of promise, lest we despair. There's no way. Who's sufficient for these things, Lord? There's no way this could be me. There's no way I could be your child. His words promises. has promises in it, don't there? Often, it's in the same sentence. Often, it's in the same word as that two-edged sword that goes forth, that does not return to him void. Boy, that's a blessing. And we ought to take heed greatly to the warning unless we die and go to hell in our sins forever. And we ought to be soothed and comforted and rejoice in his promises. I hope we can see that this morning. Here in Genesis 19, we need both, don't we? We need both. We need to be warned and we need to See the promises of our God. In Genesis 19, we just see sin abounding all throughout. Here in Genesis, Lot left Abraham. Bye. Because of great riches. So much so his servants were getting into it. And he left. He ended up in Sodom. He said, pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he got taken up with the Sodomites whenever those four kings came through. And now he's sitting in the gates of Sodom. He gets delivered by these two angels, his wife and two of his daughters. But here Lot's wife turns. She turns back. She looks back. And then after she looks back, there's atrocities that take place between Lot and his daughters. But grace abounded at every turn in this chapter. Grace explodes off the page at every event in this chapter. Does that mean that we should just leave where the gospel is? Go out on our own? Absolutely not. Does that mean we should just embed ourselves in a sin-cursed world and try to turn that barrel of bad apples good by this one good apple? Of course not. That's foolish. (laughs) 
Who's bewitched you? <laughs> That's nonsense. Should we commit grievous sin that way grace may abound? What Paul say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may, be, may abound? God forbid. You know better than that. An onlooker would think those things. An onlooker would perceive those things. A child of God knows better. Because the Lord's taught us better, right? This is for our learning. Here in Genesis 19, Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Stop it. Stop doing that. For correction, here's how it's supposed to happen. And for instruction. Now here, going forth, what you're doing wrong, here's why. Here's what we do from now on. For reproof, for correction, or for instruction in righteousness to show us Christ. That's what it's for. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We can learn something from this. I hope to show you what the Lord's taught me this week. It's beautiful. Can't wait to tell you. And this, if this is the only message we get today, I, I'm okay with that. You'll be okay too if he gives you ears. Genesis 19, verse 17. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. An angel spoke to Lot. Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain. Don't kind of leave. Get plumb gone. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I now see your mercy. I now see the glory of God because I've been spared, because I've been saved. And I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. <laughs> now that you've saved me, you might let me go die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto. And it's a little one. It's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? It's a little town. And my soul shall live. Oh, if I could just go to a small town. Small town's much better than the big town because that's the problem, wasn't it? You was in big city living. You was in bright lights of concrete and all kinds of rambunctious things happen down there. But if I go to a small town, there's less sin there. <sighs> Left our own devices. What foolish thought. That's what, I, ain't, I never was part of the bad crowd growing up. I was the bad crowd growing up. You understand that? Small town is no better than a big town if there's no gospel there. A small town is no better than a big town if there's no gospel there. Don't matter where you live. I told a guy at one time, he said, what do you think about Hawaii? He said, we're going to go there on vacation and we're going to decide if we want to live there while we're there. I said, well, who's going to say no? He said, would you live there? I said, I'd love to live in Hawaii if I didn't have a God like you. If I was godless. And I thought, oh, that's harsh. <laughs> it's true. That's profitable. I'm not my own. I'm bought with price. I'm going to be where God's people are. I'm His. Why didn't Lot go back to Abraham? The angel told him to go to the mountain. Which mountain? Might have been that mountain that Abraham's worshiping on, huh? He wanted to go to a little town. Why didn't he go back where Abraham was? Abraham was up there in a mountain praying for Lot, wasn't he? Wouldn't he make an intercession for Lot and for those in Sodom? Say, if it was, if it was ten righteous. What if, it, what if it was twenty righteous? Would you spare the city? He's up there interceding for him, wasn't he? Praying for him. Was Lot praying for Abraham? I'm afraid not. Evidently not. And it wasn't too long ago that Lot had so much 
stuff in his house. We'll see that in Luke 14 or 17 a little bit. He had so much stuff in his house, he couldn't be with Abraham no longer. They had to divvy it up. They had to split and go their own ways. Now he's going to be living in a cave shortly. Destitute. Verse 21. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. I won't throw, overthrow this small city. Haste thee, hurry up, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar, little. I can't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until you're gone. The righteous cannot perish. How long could we spend on that one? What a promise. What a promise. Verse 23, The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. It was a new day. Looked just like every other day. People got up, shaved, got ready for work, put the work boots on. What are you going to do this evening? What are you doing next week? You want to have a barbecue? Then the Lord reigned, verse 24. Then the Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain, everything around it, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. Now here's a paragraph all by itself. You'll see that little backwards P and a what looks like a T over, over top of it. It means paragraph. This is a paragraph all by itself. It's one verse. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. What a dire warning for us. Our Lord had that. We're going to look at a little while in Luke 17. Three words. Remember Lot's wife. What a dire warning. You talk about sobriety. Every one of us ought to put everything out of our minds and concentrate solely on this individually and not care about nobody else. He didn't say, you tell your cousin to remember Lot's wife. He said, you remember Lot's wife, didn't he? Remember Lot's wife. A dire warning. What did this woman do? What are we to remember? It says there, she looked back. She looked back. The word looked here is, means to look intently at, to regard with pleasure favor, to have care. She looked back caring. This ain't the same thing that happened whenever Abraham was sitting in the door of that tent back in Genesis 18.2. He said he lifted up his eyes and he looked and lo, three men stood by him. He was observant. This is a different look. This is a desire. She wasn't just seeing what was going on. She desired Sodom. We all know what Sodomites are. We all know what Sodom represents in this world. Homosexuality doesn't. What was in Sodom for her? She had some children, didn't she? She had some physical offspring. She's heterosexual at least for a time. Her daughters were there. Her sons-in-laws were there. That was her Sodom. Make the, build a house around the children. The children's the idol. You build a house around a spouse. The spouse is the idol. That was her Sodom. That's what she looked back on. Would God turn a single person into salt? Would God kill them immediately because of just a look? Touch not, taste not, right? She just looked. That's all she did, wasn't it? Wasn't it just a look? Would he do that just for a look? What happened to the entire human race because of a look? Be careful how you, how you can't your eyes. <laughs> or watch it. Lord knows, Lord looks on the heart. 
And the eye is a window to the soul, isn't it? Here's what happened to the whole human race. And when the woman saw, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant for the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and it also gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. Right there. One look. We all entered sin. I sinned right there in that look. When Adam ate, his wife looked on it and saw it was good. What are we supposed to look at? We're told in Isaiah, look, turn, face, desire. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. There's none else. Look to him. That's what we're to do. She looked to Sodom. She looked to these worldly things. Did Mrs. Lot hear the brimstone exploding and instantly look back? She was jolted. You ever got jump scared? Ha! <laughs> Big loud bang. Been been dozing off. <laughs> Wake you up. You ever had that happen? Is that what happened? That fire and brimstone started hitting and she desired to know what was going on? Oh no, that's not what happened, was it? It was a gradual thing. Look at verse 26 again. These are not idle words. The Lord doesn't give us words that we can just tinker with them, play with them, make up our own. I think, I think, I think. What's God say? But his wife looked back from behind him. From behind him, from behind her husband. She began slowly, little by little, no longer walking in step with her husband. Lot's wife left with Lot and these angels of the Lord and her two daughters. And you think of the benefit that she had being married to a righteous man, a godly man, a just man. Abraham preached to her, you think? You think Abraham had some words? You think you're going to be around a child of God long and not find out what they think, what they believe, who their God is? What about Lot? Lot probably preached to her. They prayed whenever they ate dinner. (laughs) He was a witness to her. His witness was shot. His witness was no good. His testimony was just discredited because of where he lived, because of what he did, because he forsook the assembly of the saints. But he knew the Lord. And he was the head of that house. He was more of a headache than a head, but he knew the gospel, didn't he? That's what Paul was speaking of concerning the children of Israel, physical Israel. He said they had all these things. They had all these pictures, the tabernacle, the priests, the types, the ceremonies, the, the feasts. They had all these things that all pointed to Christ that's told of Him and His redemptive work, who He was, what He accomplished. And they didn't care for none of them. They just got wrapped up in the physical exercise of it. That's played church. That's what we do It's Sunday. Don't go worship a living God that saved our souls. It's just, oh, i got to do that before I can go to lunch. Then we go out and eat. You like Golden Crow? God being merciful, walked these four souls hand in hand out of this city set for destruction. Look up verse 16. Genesis 19, 16. And while he lingered, a lot lingered, the men laid a hold, a hold, The men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. That's four of them. Four people. That's two angels. They got two hands apiece. They're in a straight line. The Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. They were side by side, hand in hand, walking together. She began to slip back a little. She began to get behind a little. That's what the Hebrew writer said. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back. 
unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. It says that Lot lingered there. That little translations hesitated. He questioned. He was reluctant. Wasn't he? What's the difference? What's the difference between him and him and Mrs. Lot? Basically the same thing, isn't it? Both of them, this was after they had left the city. It was her thing. The Lord said, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Lot was a child of God. That's the difference, isn't it? He was a child. Sonship is what the difference is. How can we be healed of this reluctance? How can we have any hope of being turned back? How can we? Hosea 14. Turn over Hosea 14. Hosea 14, verse 1 says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. It's your fault. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, that means pray unto the Lord. Pray unto him this. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. Lord, forgive us. Save. So we will render the calves of our lips. So we'll praise you. Assure us shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we have say any more the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. Look at what we did. This is our God. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. Then the Lord says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. That's why he says, and David says a couple times in the Psalms about that do. God commands the do the same as he commands the salvation of his people. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. What's going to keep me from turning back? What's going to keep me from lingering, from pondering, from questioning to the death of my soul? It's my fault. What's going to keep me? God's going to have to. He's going to have to. Now, is that a strong warning? You better believe it is. Don't you dare do that. I can't keep from it. I know. Cry out for mercy. <laughs> cry out to Him to save you. Turn over to Luke 17. Luke 17. Lord, speaking of that last day of judgment, He will return and this earth will burn. Luke 17, 28 says, Likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus it shall be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, when He comes. In that day, He which shall be upon the housetop and all His stuff. <laughs> they lived there in, in Sodom a long time, didn't they? We haven't lived in one place too long, but the longer you live in a place, the more stuff you get. And you have children, and you get more stuff. Then you have grandchildren, and you get more stuff. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that's in the field, let him likewise not return back. 
I, that's so fearful for me. I'm fearful. I have fear in me. If left to my own devices and not being just taken by the hand, turned and made to leave, I'm just going to run back inside the house. Not necessarily after plastic stuff, <laughs> plastic things, but after loved ones, after children, after my wife, after whoever, after you all. Oh, what about them? Instead of just standing in the field and waiting. Look up. Come, Lord. Haste the day. What is our Lord's word of warning and promise? What's that two-edged sword? Remember Lot's wife. What crushes me? All those things he said, you cannot be my disciple. He lists some things, doesn't he? I can't be your disciple, Lord. Who's sufficient for these things? How could I? I'm just, remember Lot's wife? She turned. I'll turn too. Three words. Remember Lot's wife. I remember our text is one paragraph by itself. But his wife looked back from behind him as she became a pillar of salt. That's one paragraph. How could that be the gospel? When I see myself on top of a roof going back inside the house for stuff and people and things. And I'm told to remember Lot's wife. That's a dire warning. But that's a promise from my Lord. She turned back from behind him as she became a pillar of salt. How could that be the gospel? How could it be in that one paragraph? Is it? You better bet it is. (laughs) Turn over to Leviticus chapter 2. I'll try to go quick. Leviticus 2. What's this salt? Lord turned to salt. What's salt in the scriptures? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Here in Leviticus chapter 2. Verse 12. I know it's hot in here. That AC didn't kick on. It didn't catch up. It's still 75. And it's really easy to get sleepy, especially if you had a big breakfast. Stay with me. This will be precious, I promise. Stay with me. This will be good for us. Leviticus 2, verse 12. As for the oblation, what's that? An offering of sacrifice. A sacrificial offer. Something hurt. <laughs> As for the oblation of the first fruits, ye shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offering, thou shalt offer salt. If there's going to be an offering made to God, you better salt it. Period. Is that clear? It says that over and over about three different ways, doesn't it? If you're going to bring a sacrifice to God, you better salt it. No sacrifice will be accepted without salt. That's what he's saying. Now turn over to Numbers 18. Numbers 18. Numbers 18, verse 19. It says, All the heave offerings of the holy things with the children of Israel offer unto the Lord I have given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee for a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever. You see that? Numbers 18, 19. 
It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. You cannot have a sacrifice without salt. And this salt is a covenant forever. It's a token of the everlasting covenant of God. So we said back in Leviticus 2.13, it's God's covenant. He owns it. He established it. It's His. And it's an everlasting covenant. It's not just a piece of paper behind a thick glass to be seen. You know that? I thought our Constitution hid somewhere in a building. Well, there's a covenant. It's not just the rules of bodily exercise that we're to perform. Well, that's the guidelines. This required salt, this covenant of salt, it does something. Do you know that? Salt does something. Turn over to 2 Kings 2. Second Kings 2, verse 19. 2 Kings 2, 19. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth it. But the water is not. The water is bad. And the ground barren. All of our women, they keep miscarrying because of bad water. And he said, bring me a new cruise. You bring me a new vessel. Not an old vessel. Bring me a new vessel. A new cruise. And put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the springs of water. And cast the salt therein. In there. And said, thus saith the Lord. I have healed these waters. There shall not be. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elijah which he spake. Salt is what heals these bitter waters. See that? It heals the barren that there may be life. It makes the pure waters. It gives life. And literally heals the cursed ground. That's what it does. You ever gargle salt water? You ever get sick? Say, well, you gargle salt water. You ever have a wound? I hurt my foot real bad one time. They said, go down to the ocean. Go down there and stick your foot in. It'll heal you. But remember what we've been studying lately? How are we healed? How's the waters healed? How's our, our wounds healed? Jehovah Rapha. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but Jehovah Rapha. The Lord that healeth thee. That's what heals, isn't it? It says over in Second Chronicles, Ought ye not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? Turn over to Ezekiel 43. We're building something. Stay with me. Ezekiel 43. Salt is necessary for the sacrifice to be accepted. It's the everlasting covenant of God. It heals. It gives life. It's the very means of this healing. very means of the atonement, of the at-one-ment, how it's accomplished. Here in Ezekiel 43, verse 23. When thou hast made an end of cleansing it. Ezekiel 43, 23. When thou hast made an end of cleansing it, thou shalt offer a young bullock without blemish and a ram out of the flock without blemish. And thou shalt offer them before the Lord and the priest shall cast salt upon them. And they shall offer them up for a burnt offering unto the Lord. Seven days shalt thou prepare every day a goat for a sin offering. They shall also prepare a young bullock and a ram out of the flock without blemish. Seven days shall they purge the altar and purify it. 
Salt purges. Salt purifies. It removes sin. It purges it. It makes holy. Lord Jesus Christ is the salt. No sacrifice will ever be accepted apart from His blood. Apart from His work. He's the one that the everlasting covenant was made with and us in Him. It was made to us because of Him, isn't it? He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the one that heals. Just as that salt heals. Made those waters pure. Not waters of wrath. Drink living water to us. He's the one that did that. He's the one that purges. He and the Father are one, aren't they? He said, every branch that in me that beareth not fruit taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. And it brings forth much more fruit, doesn't it? Our Lord's the only one that can make anyone or anything a holy thing. He's the one that declares it. He sets it apart for his use. He purifies it. And that's what we must be. It must be done by him. Can two walk together except they be in agreement? We must be made like him. So speaking to all the congregation of the children of Israel and saying to them, Ye shall be holy. You shall be purged. You shall be purified. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. We have to be, don't we? For a sacrifice to be accepted, there's got to be salt. For an everlasting covenant made in salt, that the covenant works by salt, <laughs> we're purified and we're purged. Preserved forever. Last one. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 15, uh, 13. Matthew 5, 13. The Lord just gave us those Beatitudes and He's speaking to His people. Matthew 5, 13. He said, Ye are the salt of of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing. If if we're his people and we've lost Christ and we've left him, and it's just, oh I've heard that. I've heard seven messages out of that. If if we wake up Sunday morning, why we come here today? Why are we here? It's what we do. To be seen, so so and so see us. We're here to worship God, to hear a word from Christ. We're here to be comforted today. We we have means of sending this gospel. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Go to the all world and preach the gospel, push it out. Well, how how are they going to go unless they be sent? See the order of priorities here? I have to have a message for you, for your soul. Tell you the truth about God. Seek a word from Him for you. So often Christ has just lost His savor to people. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to cast out. What's done with that salt that don't have no savor in it? Catch this. And to be trodden underfoot of men. Cast it out. It just mixes right in with the dirt that it come from. Mixes right into the ground. Flat, doesn't it? And it's trodden down. What else is trodden down? A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls of the hour devoured it. That salt's good for nothing. What did that one paragraph say? But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar, a pillar of salt. Does that mean something? 
Was she flat? Was she trodden down? It's hard to walk on top of a pillar, ain't it? <laughs> Life-size statue. She became a pillar of salt. Paul told Timothy, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What's that mean? I pray if I turn back to this sin-cursed world, if the Lord's brought me out of my depravity and gave me life, and I'm a new cruise that He's put His salt, His Son in, and I'm so prone to wonder, I'm so prone to linger and to lust after this world and to run back to Sodom, and I turn, and the second I fall behind Him and I go to leave Him and forsake my first love, instantly make me just like Christ. Kill me. Right then, take me out of this world and make me like your darling son, Lord. Make me pure like he's pure. Remind me of that everlasting covenant that he made. Make me a pillar, not to be trodden underfoot. Lord, stand me up or I can't stand. That's what I pray happens. Be merciful to me. It says in Revelation 3.12, He that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more and I will write upon him the name of my God and then the name of the city of my God which is New Jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my God and I will write upon him my new name I can't be made the salt of the earth unless God makes me that way I can't, be, I can't make myself like Christ unless he does it he has to and Lord if I'm prone to wonder if I go to leave slay me slay me do you know Lot's wife's name? Me neither. Isn't that precious? Isn't that wonderful? That means it's a warning to every single one of us. Starting with me. I've, I've slept on this all week. Oh, I need to be warned. It's me. I'm so prone to look back. And it's a promise to absolutely any of us. Whosoever. Whosoever. Salvations of the Lord. Run to Him. Either way, call on His name for salvation. That doesn't sound appealing sometimes. I like this world. Yeah, I get it. Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. He's worthy to be trusted in. All right. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for what we are. Lord, we're so prone to desire this earth, desire the things of this earth, desire the people of this earth. Lord, don't leave us to ourselves. Don't allow us to turn from you. Keep our eyes fixed firmly upon our Redeemer. Allow us to praise Him. Allow us to walk with Him in full agreement. Lord, allow us to be made like Him. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your people in this world that You've given us, brethren and we can know them and give us a heart that prays for them and we encourage one another and to press on. Lord, thank you for this hour. Be with us. Don't leave us to ourselves. It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. All right, brother. Make it quick. I really thought I was going to get done before 10 a.m. <clears throat>